indescribable horrors of hell. Today, one of the most challenging topics uh, and probably one of the most important topics to talk about is uh, the reality of hell. This place that's become nothing more than a common swear word for most people. Uh, here's why we, need, we, we should talk. And I'm not just saying a turn or burn message today. I'm not going to try to scare anybody or anything. We're just going to look at what the Word of God says about the afterlife. And I promise you, you're going to leave better today with more life. Amen? Ain't no one gonna, you're not going to feel worse leaving here today. I promise you that. Jesus spoke about this topic of hell, listen to this, 33 times. So that would have been once a month of Jesus' ministry, his earthly ministry, he would have preached on hell. How would you guys feel if like once a month they come up and I'm like, okay, guys, time to talk about hell again. Let's go. It's just, I mean, it'd be very uncomfortable, right? But Jesus thought that this was important. Why? Because if we don't accept the reality of hell, we're never going to appreciate the glory of the gospel or the goodness of Jesus. Like there's got to be this awareness like in today, I really don't. I don't I'm not going to scare the hell out of you today. I'm not. <laughs> Maybe a little bit, right? right? I'll get some of that hell out of you. All right? What I hope today that you would be filled with is an overwhelming gratitude of the goodness of Jesus, of the grace of God, of the forgiveness freely offered, uh, just an overwhelming sense of God's love for your life. Amen? In fact, can I just pray for us that we would receive this in the way that I'm intending, that we would not feel um, uh, uh, walls come up or feel like this is going to be those kind. No, no, like, like we're going we're gonna to get truth today. We're going to get clarity today. And we're going to get understanding of God's overwhelming love for us. Amen? Let me pray that over us. God, we thank you. We ask that you would open our hearts to receive the truth of your word in our ears to hear that we would remove right now the spirit of fear. You have not given us the spirit of fear, but power, love, and sound mind. So today we receive your word without anxiety, without fear, but we receive truth today and let the truth set us free in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Hell is talked about in the Bible 167 different times. There's a lot of different words that the Bible used for hell, like Sheol or the lake of fire or hell or the grave, burning sulfur, lake of burning sulfur, all these different words synonymously kind of are hell. And we'll talk about that today, but I did some research like I've been doing throughout this series about what, what people believe, what Americans believe about life after death. And 74% of Americans believe in a heaven. Well, if not like the heaven of the Bible, like that place, a good place that people go to, some sort of like paradise type afterlife where, you know, Something, we float, or so, I don't know. Some people, 74% of people believe in a heaven, but only four out of 10 believe in a hell, okay? So, so there's a lot less people believe in, in that part of it. And a half of 1% of people only believe that they personally are going to hell. So, which a lot of the people that do believe in hell, they agree that hell is reserved for like the really, really bad people, right? Like the murderers and stuff like that. I mean, not for, not for good people, right? And Jesus, he spoke about hell often, like I said, but he actually spoke, his very first sermon is recorded in Matthew 6, 7, and 8. The Sermon on the Mount, you guys know. It, that whole, like, it's a, it, it continues. It's just after that is Matthew chapter 7 and 8. That's all one sermon Jesus gives as his first sermon. In his first sermon ever preached publicly, he spoke about hell. 
Just, right? It's just interesting. To me as a pastor, I'm like, that's a bold way to go, Jesus. I didn't launch the church with, here's what hell's like. You know what I mean? That's just, but Jesus is different like that, man. He, Matthew chapter 7, let's look at this. Jesus says this, the highway to hell is broad. Yeah, that's not, you thought that was coined by ACDC. That was a straight up JC, all right? JC coined that one. In fact, there's a bunch of lyrics that are stolen from JC. Man, people don't know. It originated with the original JC. Amen, somebody? The highway to hell, he said, is broad. And the gate is like wide. And many choose. That's the key word, choose that way. But the gateway to life, man, that thing is narrow. And the road it's not easy. It's not the easier road. It's a difficult road to travel. And because of that, only a few ever find it. Now, if I were the devil, I'd probably try to convince you and people and humanity that there is no hell. That there is no hell. That he's just like, you know, don't have to worry about that. Or, or at least try to put it out of your mind or put it in the back of your mind so that you wouldn't take this life seriously and that you would live however you want and continue to reject Christ and live without a fear of God. And, and if the devil can convince believers like at least to just not think about the eternal things and heaven and hell and stuff like that, then we would live and he would convince us then to live ridiculously selfish and self-centered lives filled with Comfort and idolizing comfort and rejecting sacrifice and avoiding persecution and living worldly like everybody else lives and not even sharing our faith and the hope that we have in eternal life with anybody throughout our earthly experience. And I think that's the devil's goal because the devil doesn't mind you being a good person. He minds you knowing Jesus. Okay, so let me ask a few questions and we're gonna study this today and I promise it's not gonna be that kind of message. We're just, we gotta know though. We got to have awareness of this place in order to truly appreciate God's goodness and grace. Amen? Here's the question I want to answer with you. Why does hell exist then? Like why? Why? Why is this? Why is there even a place of this fire and torment and stuff like this? Let me, two reasons why. Okay, biblically, there's two reasons why hell exists. Number one, write these down. Hell exists for God to deal righteously with Satan and his angels, okay? Or his demons, they're called, right? The angels are the third of heaven, third of angels that got kicked out of heaven in Satan's great rebellion. They're the demons now. A lot of people, think, like we don't think about not only eternity, but we don't think about the hidden and secret world. These things, like, like guys, Satan is real. He's not, he's not like um, a harmless dude in a red jumpsuit, pitchfork, kind of horned kind of person. He is the embodiment of evil. He is, he is the force that is behind all the addiction and corruption in our world today. He is behind the person scheming of the abuse and the fear and the pain and the shame. He is called in the Bible, the destroyer, deceiver, dragon, dark angel, serpent, adversary, enemy, tempter, wicked one, thief, the father of lies, the prince of darkness, the angel of the abyss. He is the one who has come to steal your joy, to kill your faith, to destroy your health, to ruin your resources, to obliterate your marriage, to kill and take your kids. That is the reality of the enemy that we have whose name is Satan. This place, hell, was created originally created not for humans. It was not created for us. It was not created. God created hell 
for Satan and his demons. Let's look at it in Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. One of the reasons why Jesus spoke about hell, by the way, so much is because he was bringing um, new revelation of the kingdom of heaven, resurrection, judgment. And so he wanted to uh, bring more clarity and awareness to his people and his disciples at what the kingdom of heaven really was. What, what eternal life was, what resurrection is, and what is this life after death? There was a lot of confusion about that, and Jesus is setting the record straight through his teaching in his ministry, Matthew 25, 41. Then he will say to those to his left, and he's talking about at judgment time, depart from me, you who are cursed, to the eternal fire. Look what it says, prepared. It was prepared, like planned. God planned it, prepared it, created that place called hell, prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, contrary to popular opinion, Satan is not currently confined to hell. He is actually cast out of heaven and currently resides on this earth. And these demons, that one third of these angels that were kicked and followed Satan out, when they were kicked out too, they are residing on this earth. And the Bible says that this Satan, this deceiver, this destroyer, this tempter, this, this, this dragon, this, he doesn't come like you think he comes. He actually disguises himself as an angel of light. And these forces of wickedness in heavenly realms, they don't operate like you think they would operate. They come in very subtle, deceptive ways, scheming ways to steal, kill, and destroy. Four times in the gospel, Satan is called the prince of this world. Jesus in John 12, 31 says, now the time is, is, is the time of judgment for this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. On this world, Satan can live apart from God. That was his, his choice. He chose to live apart from God, just as on this world, we can choose to live apart from God. But what is going to happen when Satan no longer has that choice to live apart from God. What's gonna happen when God renews all things, creates a new heaven and new earth, and all of God's creation exists and dwells in the presence of God? What's gonna happen with Satan there who has chose to live apart from God? That's why hell was created. Because he chose separation from God. One day, God is gonna cast Satan, death, and Hades. We're going to come back to that. But this is what the Bible says. Satan, death, and Hades are going to be cast into this lake of fire. Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. And the devil who deceived them, that's his goal. His goal is just to deceive you, trick you, get you living differently, get you not following, was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be, look what it says, they will be tormented. Okay, look, here's another like misconception. The devil is not the ruler of the underworld. He's not the king of hell. No, listen, Satan is tormented day and night in hell. That's his, his final destination. He will be bound and tormented day and night forever and ever. Revelation chapter 20, verse 14. Now it says that, that death and Hades were actually thrown into the lake of fire. We're gonna come back to that. Like Hades, what is that? The lake of fire is the second death. One day, God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth, and nothing in God's creation will be separate from him. But Satan chose long ago to live separate from God. His choice to rebel against God condemned him to eternal separation from God. 
That's why hell was created, as a place of separation from God for Satan and his demons. So what's, who, who's going to be in hell? Satan and his demons are going to be in hell. But sadly, sadly, they won't be the only ones there. The second reason of hell and why hell exists is to deal righteously, for God to deal righteously with unbelievers. And I know this is like hard to even hear, receive, and feel in the culture we're living in today. Like, like it's, it's hard to understand the reality of this, and I'm going to try to bring some love and clarity to this reality. Most people, they believe, that believe in hell, they believe that, you know, it's for really bad people. Like, like I said, Hitler and terrorists and, and just like those, those evil people, wicked, mass murderer type people, you know, that's, that's, but certainly not for good people, not for my coworker, Bob. Bob's a good guy. I know he's not a Christian, but he's a great guy. He brings donuts for us, you know what I mean? And, and, and when I got sick with COVID, he brought me some food. Bob's cool, man. He's a good, he's a good person. Certainly not him, not him. And not me, I mean, not me. I know I'm not religious and all, but, but I'm, I'm a good bro. I'm better than, and we start comparing ourselves to other. I know I'm better than, and they go to church, you know, and, then, and we try to like earn heaven or, 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 or like convince ourselves we deserve heaven by comparison or merit as if that was the way you even get in there. A lot of people say like, I don't understand why God would send good people to hell. And I want to clear up that today, that understanding of that today. And it, it, we, we will, but I want to just first just start off with the, just blatantly and bluntly say, it doesn't matter if you understand he's God and you're not. And he is just and, and, and holy. People today want to remake God in their own image to justify their decisions and their lifestyles. Here's what we have to understand. It is impossible for God to be holy, fully holy, and also completely just. Hell exists for God to give people the result of their rejection of him. Separation. Second Thessalonians chapter 1 tells us this. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. They will be punished with an everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord. Now, I know this isn't fun to, to talk about, but if we don't accept the reality of hell, we'll never appreciate the glory of the gospel or the goodness of Jesus Christ. Let me try to give you a glimpse of hell through this, a story Jesus told his disciples and the crowd that would follow him to try to give more revelation and understanding of this afterlife experience. Jesus told a story in Luke chapter 16. Let me kind of, let's study this together. Luke chapter 16, verse 19 is where we're going to pick up. He said, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. Now, when you and I hear that, that doesn't mean much, you know what I mean? You may not even like purple here. But for them, that was like a big deal to them because in that time, you guys, for, for, for someone to have like purple clothing, it was a very expensive dye that had to be infused into their clothing. And so you were, you were extremely rich to afford that, not only that dye, but then the process to be infused into your clothing with, with skill. It's like, that's a reserve for royalty and rich people. And then even like, fine linen. You guys like, <laughs> that's nothing to, you, to us, linen. But I read a commentary that was saying that, that for someone to have a, a, an outfit of fine linen, that outfit could pay for an average person's food for an entire year. So, so you like that to you, it's like purple, whatever, linen, great. <laughs> but for them, they're like, when, so in the Greek, if you look at it, it, if you look at the Greek, it, it means Jesus is saying, this dude is Oprah rich. 
Look at the Greek. It was, the Greek says Kardashian coin. It was right there. And no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But it is like, it's another level, you guys. They're like, who's this dude? I'm going to follow him, man. You know what I mean? Okay, this is that guy, all right? Crazy rich. At his gate was laid a beggar and, uh, named Lazarus who was covered in sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. And what that means was if you were like super rich like this dude, when you would get done eating, um, you wouldn't just clean your hands like average people. You would actually use the leftover bread because you would eat a feast. Leftover bread from the table and whatever was on your hand, you'd use bread to wipe off, you know, your hand. You just like, you clean it with the loaf that was there. And so crumbs and stuff would fall all over the plate and the ground. And they're just like, whatever, you know, I'm just going to clean with that. And, and that was like valuable to them. That's food to them. And so, so what the servants for, of these rich people that would do this and um, they would come and they would get the crumbs off the, ta- off the ground and, and the plate and they would... Uh, you know, come, they'd give it to their animals that they had. And the rich people would have animals or dogs often. And so they would go and feed these crumbs to the, to the dogs as just a treat for, for the animals. And Lazarus is saying here, can I just get some of the crumbs that you're washing your hands with? Like that would bless me. What you're giving the dogs would bless me. Can I just get some of that? And the time came, it says, when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, there's that word again. He he was in Hades where he was in torment. Let me stop right there and talk about this word Hades. Hades is the the Greek word of the equivalent Hebrew Sheol. And if if you like study the Bible or you have one of those Bibles that shows you some of those Greek or Hebrew words that might be um, not uh, unfamiliar to you, Sheol, it's it's, it's not the same as hell. Hades or Sheol, Uh, This place, Hades, is a temporary place before the judgment that people go without Christ. Now remember, part of, of the judgment was where Hades is cast into hell, the lake of fire. All right, I'm going to come back to that. I'm going to show you a timeline of, of life after death in eternity in just a moment. Let's continue with the story. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So here is this man in torment in this, in this burning place. And he's this great chasm and gap between him and this rich man. He sees Abraham and there's comfort over there and paradise over there, but over here is torment. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water to cool my tongue. Why? Because I am in such terrible pain. I am in agony in this fire. Last week we saw for the follower of Jesus to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Okay? For those who are without Christ, to be absent from the body is the beginning of torment and suffering. And the Bible tells us what it will be like in this story and many others. We start to get a glimpse of this place of unspeakable torment. That hell is called in the Bible a fiery furnace the lake of burning sulfur or the lake of fire. It says there will be weeping and wailing or gnashing of teeth. And sometimes people talk about hell as it's like this party to go to. Like at least, at least all my friends will be there, you know? No, although, although hell will be well populated, we are told that hell is a place of utter isolation. Complete isolation complete darkness, no, no light at all. So in hell, you, you are not going to see 
anybody in a hell experience. You are not going to touch anybody here. You are not going to be in any kind of community. It's utter darkness, utter isolation, utter no hope, just complete pain. And the angel of Revelation described this in, in, in Revelation chapter 14. For those who are without Christ in this place, he says, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured out full strength in the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. Now, now the, the Greek word translated hell is not, is not Hades. When you see the Greek word in Jesus talking about hell, the Greek word is Gehenna. Okay, and so these are, these are two different places, Hades and hell. So I want to show you a timeline that may help you. I didn't get into your outline, but, but it will be on the screen up here. So from your earthly existence, to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord if you're a believer, but to be an unbeliever, to be absent from the body is the beginning of suffering. So we see that believers go to this place called paradise. Remember, Jesus said today to the thief, you're going to be with me in paradise. You're in the presence of God, but God has not yet created new heaven and new earth. This is an intermediate heaven, an intermediate place where is Jesus called paradise. We know it is the presence of God, where God is, where people go. That's an intermediate place. But for those who are not believers, they go to the intermediate place called Hades, where there is weeping and gnashing. And at the final, then after there's the resurrection, when judgment comes, Jesus comes back for his church and we are resurrected and we get new bodies and heavenly bodies, we get resurrection to life, those who are in Christ, and go to heaven. And those who do not, they get resurrection, resurrection for final judgment and eternal separation in hell. Gehenna comes from, actually, when Jesus would use this word hell, he, Gehenna is actually a, a real place in the valley of uh, Hinnon, it's called. It means, the word means, Gehenna means the place of everlasting punishment. It was a literal place. Several times when Jesus mentioned it, it's a, it, the place is a garbage dump just south of Jerusalem. It's a literal garbage dump where people, the, the Israelites would throw, and the people would throw waste, sewage, and flesh, burning flesh. They would throw. It, was, it, is, it is a lake of fire. So people that are sick or that have passed or that had illness and disease and they would pass and, or, or criminals when they die, they get thrown into that thing and they would burn them in there and they're burning all these things. So imagine just worms and maggots and burning flesh and the smell is beyond sickening in Gehenna. So what is hell? Based on scripture, it is nonstop, eternal fire, torturous suffering and unending pain, which is why we go back to the story this, this rich man, he cries out, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Like, I love them, and I don't want them to experience what I'm experiencing right now. Can someone go tell them? We see, I think, the story shows us four lessons that are important to understand. Four lessons from the other side. Write these down, you guys. Number one. The rich man was fully conscious and aware. He had memory of his life. He had memory of his decisions. And he was in very real pain, we're told, but probably uh, one of the most excruciating pains is that pain of regret we see. 
of him wanting, the emotional pain. Number two, the second lesson is that this rich man's eternal destiny was irrevocably fixed. There was no changing it. There was a chasm and a gap that he could not cross. He was forever fixed to this place. The third lesson Jesus is teaching is that this rich man knew that his suffering was just. Because he complained about the pain, but he never once complained about the injustice. He cried, he complained about, oh my, this is agony, this is torment, this is pain, but he never once said, this is unfair. God, this is, I don't deserve this. So somewhere in this experience of afterlife, it became evident, he came to the realization that what has happened to him was just. It is what was just. The fourth reality is this, that the rich man, we're told in the story, begged and pleaded for someone to help his brothers know Jesus. He knew what would happen to his brothers if they didn't trust Christ like, like he chose not to trust Christ. Can somebody please just go back and tell my, just tell them the goodness of God. Tell them about the grace of Jesus. Tell them about the forgiveness freely offered and available to them. There are so many people who are on this wide road. And he would have cried out, like, I thought I was okay. I thought I was okay. But I didn't realize what road I was really on. But now on this other side, I have a different perspective. Now I see things differently. Please, somebody go tell my family. So why are we talking about something that's so hard, that can be so heavy and painful? Because what you believe about eternity determines how you live today. And if I was the devil, I would try to convince you to either not believe in a hell or put it out of your mind as much as possible. That you would not think about it, not believe, you just live how you want, you continue to reject the gospel, reject the message of Jesus, have no fear of God. And, and if you're a believer and I could just convince you that, that to not think about hell at all, just to put it out of your mind or at least the, the, the back of your mind, then, then I, could, I could get you living selfishly and living for your own comforts and living for, for, for your earth experience and rejecting all kind of sacrifice for God's glory and goodness, avoiding all kind of persecution, just looking for acceptance and involvement in the world, loving this world and never sharing the hope that you have in Jesus. If I could convince you to live for today, you would completely forget about eternity. But John 10, 10 tells us that the thief has come to do just that, to steal away your joy, your life, to steal, to kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come so that you may have life and have it to the full. Now, I'm, I'm completely aware some of you might be thinking, I don't know if I want to believe in a God who sends good people to hell. This is kind of one of the most common misunderstandings about God, one of the fundamental, in our society today, one of the fundamental um, misconceptions about the nature of man and the nature of God. Um, because God doesn't send good people to hell. I, I told you last week that God doesn't, like it's a choice that we make. God doesn't send anybody. We choose it, but God does not send good people to hell. What we have to understand is we are inherently by nature, not good. We are not good. But wait a second. No, no, no. I have a good heart, good intention. No, you don't. You got a wicked. I have a wicked heart. 
There's wickedness in here. I'm, 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 kind of, I'm a good person. I'm a, I've lied, stolen, cheated. Why you've probably done the same thing. Playing Monopoly, liar. You stole that bank money. <laughs> uh, if for a moment you stood in the presence of a holy God, remember, you couldn't stand, you'd fall to your knees. You, we would realize that in that moment of how not good we really are. Because here in this life, we measure goodness differently. To them, them, them. But standing before a holy God, we would do nothing but fall in comparison. We would see, really, wow, I, I'm not good. We have, listen, you have to understand this. We have inherited humans. We have inherited a sin nature. We were born in this sin. We inherited this thing. You don't, no one has to teach a toddler how to be selfish. Right? That toddler, you got you to gotta teach that toddler how to share. Right? That's what you got to do. Why? Because we have a bent towards selfishness, a bent towards sin. That's what's inside of our nature. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned, and every single one of us have fallen short of the glory of God. You're not good. And we can't escape if you disregard what Jesus has done for you. Here's the reality. The reality is this. Humans, we, we are on the road, the broad road, the highway to hell. Every one of us. Without the goodness of Jesus or the glory of the gospel. This is our, our road, our journey, our path. This is who we are and where we're headed. But God has provided. Hebrews chapter 2, 3 says this. How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? So here's what I want to do. I, I want to give you a simple understanding of the gospel today. I want to share with you some truths and share with you some scriptures. But some of you have heard these before. You've heard these scriptures. You've heard these truths. Today, here, listen, child of God in here today, I want you to hear these with new ears. I want you to hear these truths with the reality of the awareness of eternity, the awareness that without the goodness of God and the glory of his gospel, I was destined for destruction to hear it with a newfound appreciation and a value of the offer of what I'm calling the great escape. Because every one of us were on the highway to hell. Three truths and a few scriptures. Y'all ready for this? Number one, God wants everyone to be saved. Every single, God does not want anyone to miss out on his goodness, on his relationship. It's not just for some. God wants every single person. It doesn't matter how, how messed up you think you are. You think you were born jacked up or you've got too much jacked up stuff happened to you or you've messed up too much. You are not too far gone. It is not too late. God desires every single, he didn't create hell for you. He doesn't, need, he doesn't want you in that place. He created you to be in a relationship with him. That there are things, humanity, listen, inside of you, living inside of you, that are like, that are unawakened, that can only come alive when you, when you come to Christ. When you bring, begin a relationship with this revelation, there is resurrection understanding. There are things that you just will not understand that you will not be awakened to until you come to Christ. You were made for that. You were made for this connection and community that God would awaken you 
He would awaken you internally. Your soul would come alive in him. You were made for that. You were not made for hell. You were not made for separation. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 says, God wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of this truth. Every single one of you, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, God wants you to be with him in eternity. 2 Peter 3, 9 says this, that the Lord isn't slow in keeping his promise. He's talking about the return of Christ, the resurrection. As some understand slowness, man, he's taking a long time. When is Jesus going to return? It says, instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to have a change of heart, to turn around, to come to repentance. According to this, this scripture, the Bible says that God is like, he, he's ready to come. Jesus is saddled on, on the white horse, ready to come for his church. And, and, and our father is, is, is holding him back going, going, no, no, not yet, not yet. There's one more. There's one more. No, no, be patient, be patient. One more. There's, there's another son. There's another daughter. He's being patient so that more can come in relationship with him and to fill heaven. The second truth is this, that God provided a way of escape for you. That you can't, you can't find a way out yourself. You can't work your way out of it. You can't earn your way out of it. You can't, look, there's no way that you and I can get off of the broad road that we're heading out. I can't run across this thing and get to the narrow path. There's nothing I can do to get off the road that I'm headed. God alone gave the way of escape. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. That's the penalty for every one of us. For the un but, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There are, there are not many ways to get on this road, this narrow path that leads to eternal life. There is one road. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. This is the way of escape if you choose it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. It said, he, Jesus, is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. Every one of us, that's where we're at. That's where we're going. But God has made a way of escape for you. He's provided it. Here's, here's the third truth. God invites you, that's the key word, he invites you to receive salvation. He won't force you. He won't coerce you. He won't manipulate you. He will just simply invite you. How will he do that? He'll give you a chance to make your decision. He'll craft moments of your life that of divine intersections destiny-shaping moments, kind of like this one where, where his love is made known. His plan is made known. That you'll get a choice. You'll get a chance yourself to be separate and continue to walk separate or to come into relationship with him. Revelation chapter 3, 20 tells us like this. That Jesus, here's what he says. Here I am give you an opportunity. I stand at the door and I knock. Some of you have, you, you know the, the feeling, right, of the knocking of Jesus. 
there are a lot of you here today, you, you, you heard the knock. Can I say, like you heard, you felt that knock of Christ. And, and you open that door. And the Bible says, like, he'll come in and start relationship with you. He says, I'll come in and eat with you and you with me. Meaning, I'm going to come in and have relationship with you. I'm going to make you come alive. I'm going I'm to awaken you to true life and abundant life and full life. I'm coming in. And some of you know that. You've opened the door. But others of you, um, you've, you've experienced the knocking. And you know what it sounds like and you know what it feels like. But you didn't open the door. You, you kind of locked it. You, you put some deadbolts. Clock, clock, clock. Getting furniture and putting it up on that thing and stuff. You know? And you, but you hear it. And, and look, it's the choice. That's it. That's all God wants to give you is this choice. It's the knock. And all we have to do is Release the deadbolts, man. That's it. And invite him in. And this is, this is his promise. He'll give you this opportunity. This is it. And it's your choice. Here's what the Bible, how do we, there's two words. To receive and let him in. Confess and believe. I say this all the time, but let me show you the scripture. Romans chapter 10. It says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you shall be saved. Some of you know what the knocking sounds like, it feels like, and, and you've been bracing that door and you've been hesitant on opening it up and letting them in. And he's not going anywhere, I'm telling you, he'll just keep knocking. He's not going to use force entry on you. No, he'll knock. Why? Because he's patient. He's good. He's just. He absolutely is just. To, to judge justly. He's so good. He's not just just, he's love. And not just has love, he is love. So he knocks patiently. You were made for me. I was made to be in that room. Just let me in. I'll let you come alive. 